Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host Brian with my co-host Ben Brandell. It is late October. We are thinking about deer hunting. We were actually out getting some stands ready yesterday. So it is on our minds. I think it's time for another deer episode. So we're going to be talking deer today. And because of the time of year that we're in, we're going to be talking about the whitetail deer rut. The rut. What is it? Well, if you're listening, if you're listening aren't excited yet, you're going to be because Brian is so excited to share this information with you today. He's yeah. smiling right now. He's grinning ear to ear because he am, just can't and, wait. And the reason is because the rut is the most talked about and focused time of the hunting season by whitetail hunters. However, I think it's kind of actually the most misunderstood. People don't actually understand what is happening. There's so many wives' tales and misconceptions out there about it. And, you know... I love science. I became a biologist because my love of creation and how it all works just perfectly together in design. So I want to share the science behind it. We're going to get into the weeds a little bit on that, share how we approach hunting it, and and then probably end with some of our our stories of past uh, hunts during the rut. But before we dive in, Ben, let's give thanks. What are you thankful for today? I am so thankful for seasons, temperatures. I love it all. I'm right now today, it's getting up, oh, I think they said like 70 degrees, but the last three days have been really, really cold, and I love the cold. I've enjoyed it for three days, but man, we get these days where it's getting warmer, it's sunnier, I just, man, it feels good. I love I love the seasons, I love the change. Yeah, well, the, the distinct seasons, the temperate regions, it, that's actually a, a big reason we even have the rut. We have these animal species that, that go through these physi- physiological changes, so I'm glad you're thankful for that. That's going to be part of what we talk about today. Kind of go along with what you're saying. I'm thankful for shelter. Mm. So we actually had a 25 degree night two nights ago, and then 18 degrees, and then around freezing last night. It was really cold. It was open the door to let the dogs out on that 18 degree morning, and my four year old son said, "Whoa, Daddy, it's cold outside. How cold is it?" And I had to rack my brain. You know, how do you describe how cold it is? And I said. You know, he's got a 20 degree sleeping bag. I said, your sleeping bag wouldn't keep you warm out there, but that's how cold it is. That's how I kind of quantified or qualified that for him. And then we talked about how thankful we are to have a house with a, a furnace and a warm fireplace. And we get to put on really nice warm clothes to keep us warm when we go out. So I'm just thankful that we have all that. We have access to all that to keep us warm when the environment is really cold. I don't think we've... Uh... <laughs> give thanks to insulation enough in our homes either <laughs> oh we take we take for granted all the all the things that make yep, us comfortable absolutely. because they make us really comfortable and mm-hmm. it's so easy to get in in the first world that we live in mm-hmm. so yep. all right well let's dive into the rut what exactly is the rut ben you had a great question as we started putting this together <laughs> where's that word come from was it yeah what is it so i had to look it up when I typed in rut, it led me to discovering that it's from the root word. It's a Latin word. I believe it's pronounced rugire. 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 Yeah. Um, so then I'm like, what does that even mean? And the definition of that was to roar. Hmm. To roar. So maybe these these bucks are 
they're roaring they're charging after their women yes in a fierce <laughs> way yeah, yes okay. fierce i could kind of put a connection there but not as direct of a connection as i thought there might be no and and that was where i stopped because that happens a lot with yeah. when we use latin for root words but right. anyway i will say before we dive into this um you know the the rut is the breeding season it is the breeding season for many species of mammals and we're talking about white-tailed deer today uh so parents if that's not something you want your children to hear about today, we're not going to go into details in specifics. We'll try to keep it as clean and uh, family-friendly as possible. Yeah, this type of information leads uh, to a lot of questions, especially to the young listeners. So if man, you feel like you don't, you're not ready to answer all these questions that your kiddos might have, may not be the episode to listen to. Right, and so family-friendly as possible it probably isn't what I really should say. It will be family-friendly. Right. But do know this may lead to some questions that you may not to answer. So if it's a busy time of year and you don't want to deal with those questions, then we've got 42 other episodes you can, go. You can go through. Um, but this is a topic um, that we love. It is a heavily talked about topic in the hunting world. So we are going to dive into talking about the whitetail rut. Let's go. Lay it on us. Really, we're going to break down what their rut is even classified as. And, and what I mean by that is they're considered what's called a short day breeder. So this rut happens, this breeding season happens as the days get shorter and the nights get longer. So it's not the temperature. It's not the moon phase. It is actually the amount of light, the photo period that triggers hormones in both the male and the female deer, the bucks and the does that actually causes the rut to happen. And there's tons and tons and tons of studies around that. However, you will still see people on TV, articles, people in your family, people in your hunting camp talking about the moon phases and the temperature, saying, "Oh, it's been a really cold. been a really cold fall so far. Is the rut going to be more intense? Is it going to kick in early? Uh, it's been really hot. Are we even going to have a rut this year? Is it going to be late?" And science shows that the temperature or moon phases both have no influence on the rut well let's, now that, yeah let's let's help some people that that might be listening that don't hunt mm-hmm. um they've maybe heard this word or they've never even heard it before and they're just now understanding or putting together what you're sharing yeah so there is a time to hunt deer and there's a time that we can't hunt deer mm-hmm. so when we talk about seasons to hunt especially where we live our seasons to hunt are going to be really around these times that you're that you're defining and talking about today and there are some possible myths or some some old um passed down information that's been shared generation generation of like you know even some information i've shared i've been told before that when it's cold outside as it's starting to get colder and colder it snaps these deer into wanting to start chasing so and so and I want you to share that really as you're digging in help help people understand all of that that is a misconception but they're to give credit to it, there is a reason for that misconception. That's because when it's colder, when there's a cold front, deer movement does increase, but mm-hmm. it, it's not snapping the rut into action. It increases because deer have to move and they have to eat to stay warm. So when it's cold, deer movement is going to increase. What happens a lot of times, people, humans, we have a generalized idea in our area where we hunt of when that rut is going to occur. So if we have cold matched with a couple weeks before, a couple weeks after that rut time, people are going to say, well, I've seen more deer movement. The rut must be on, but it's likely just 
it's colder, so the deer need to be moving to go find their food and to stay warm. Good, good. So that's kind of where that misconception comes from. It's just observation misconception is what I would call that. Yep. So let's talk more about the physiological events in the deer. I mentioned the photo period, and that's how all their changes occur. I mean, they change from their summer coat to their winter coat, grow antlers, drop antlers, um, the rut. All of this is based off of the increase in hormones like melatonin as it goes up and down and testosterone their hormones are regulated by the amount of light during the day and at night and now i'm not saying how intense the sun is if it's a really hot summer i'm saying how many minutes of daylight during the day and how many minutes of of dark during the night yeah and we can see that as humans we go through that whole process with them in regards to we even have to change our clocks at some point you know when you a lot of people will go into work and it'll be dark and when they they get home, it's dark. And so we know we're, we're in a different time period, that, that photo period that you're talking about. Right. Yep. So the rut is very different for males and females. So the bucks and does have a very different, <laughs> we'll say experience, um, how their body is actually working is very different during the rut. Bucks, they, they are available and ready to breed as long as they have hard antlers. And what I mean by that is their antlers grow and while they're growing, they have this velvet covering. Once the testosterone levels are, are high enough, they're going to add calcium to that. They're going to become hard, and they're going to go rub that velvet covering, which is supplying the blood and nutrients for the antlers. They're going to go rub it off. As soon as it's off and they're considered hard-antlered, they are now available to breed. And that usually is going to happen, you know, we're going to say late August through mid-September. And then they will drop those antlers off late winter. During that time about five month window they will breed at any time as long as there is a receptive doe that's in estrus it's much much different for does does are uh more complicated mm. let's let's say that so they have to have the exact right amount and ratio of three different hormones to go into estrus which means they're ready to breed and that only happens for about two days so they're going to be in estrus for about two days now. For the, for every single doe or at all at the same time, or will it be different periods? No, for it's different definitely doe? not all at the same time. Good. Um, it's it's different for each doe. Um, a lot of times it depends on if it's their first year going in, their their second, third year going in, um, their levels of health of their body, how much food and fat reserves they have. Um, there's a lot of different things that that cause that to happen. Um. I want to share the actual hormones with you. Um, so they have th- three different parts of their body that are producing all this hormone. So they have the hypothalamus in their brain, their pituitary gland, and the ovaries. Uh, and they are each going to produce a different hormone. And the three hormones are the luteinizing hormone, estrogen, and progesterone. And those levels and the ratio of each of those to each other have to be exactly right. And when they are, she'll go into estrus for just two days, maybe three days, but it's usually just two days. Sometimes it's only one, but we're going to say two because that's that's kind of that average. And that is going to happen. So deer are on a 28-day cycle, just like humans, adults. You'll know what that means. Um, nothing other than the correct hormone balance at the end of that 28-day period is going to put them into estrus. Nothing. That is the only thing. That's the way God designed it. So if those things are happening, then they're not going to go into estrus. There's nothing, there's no sense that we can put out there. There's no temperature. There's no climate change. There's nothing that is going to put them into estrus besides 
their hormone producing body parts producing the right levels of hormones. And that may be too into the weeds, but I want people to truly understand what is happening. Um, and let's roll back for just a minute. So you talked about the, the photo period. Mm-hmm. So looking at a photo period, you're talking about what we call our solstice. Okay. So we have June and December. Yep. Okay. So in June would be, well, for us, North America here in the, in the northern regions. So for us, that's going to be the longest day of the year. That would be the opposite for the southern side. And then when we get into December, that's going to be our, we're going to have the shortest day of the year. So so from June to December, we're having a change of our, our photo period, correct? Yes. And so that is coming into play for, for all of these deer. So, you know, you have this buck you talked about. At some point, he's in velvet. Mm-hmm. He's got to lose his velvet as the antlers become hard after that velvet. That's all happening from hormones, and that's all happening from our photo period. Correct. So each from June, um, I believe, I can't even think of the actual day, but in June. I think you have, June 21st is the first yeah, day of summer. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. From June to December, we are losing daylight, losing daylight until we get to the shortest day of the year. Right. So that photo period is impacting the hormones of these deer and that is what's sending them into this cycler process. And it happens every single year. Correct. Right? So let's go back to, let's kind of help people understand the hunting side. So, you know, our area in Missouri have set up seasons around this cycle, mm-hmm. this process. So we start off with an archery season first. It opens first. And yep. from archery season, it moves in into a rifle season. Mm-hmm. So what's taking place is that first day of archery season opens up where are we at with these deer? What's what part of the cycle are are happening with this deer? Well, uh, you know our our archery season in Missouri opens up uh, September the fifteenth, the second, the end of the second week of September, and by that time, most of the bucks are have already removed their velvet. Most of them are hard antler. There there may be a select few that are still in velvet, but from that time, all the way through January and February, even into March those bucks are going to have antlers. And so that entire time during the entire deer season, because bow season goes all the way through January the 15th, during that entire time, a buck is ready to breed. Okay. So we made that known. And then a few minutes ago, you talked about a doe. Yes. It has to all the, all, everything has to be in a line for it to, to be ready. Mm-hmm. And once it is, it's only for on average two days, she's ready. Right. And so you have this, this game going, this, this cat and mouse chase that is taking place for multiple, multiple, multiple days. So help us and understand when we could talk about the rut, when we get into archer from archery season into rifle season, you know, a lot of people have talked about moon phases. I've heard that. I've heard about the cold temperatures. What's actually taking place in within that season? Uh, it's physiologically, like within the deer's body. Yeah. So the the first physiological change that's going to happen with within a doe is going to be changing her coat, changing from her summer that red summer coat into her thick, more kind of gray tan winter coat. And then once she has that, as the melatonin mo- melatonin levels continue to increase, it's going to send other signals to her body, to her hypothalamus and her brain and her ovaries, and they're going to start producing these other hormones. And once all those levels match and meet where they're supposed to, they're going to go into estrus. So those are really the first two. And then once she's in estrus, that's when the buck 
when they go into estrus, their body is going to produce um, a scent. And that's what signals to the buck that doe is ready. She's ready to breed. And he's going to pursue her and to chase her until he can breed within those 24 to 48 hours. And then he's going to move on to the next one. Okay, that's good. So when I'm out hunting, there's two things that a lot of deer hunters talk about. They talk about what's called a rub. And mm-hmm. then they also talk about what's called a scrape. Yeah. And, you know, I love going out and looking for those and finding those. But that's a part of the rut, correct? It's it's more part of the pre-rut than anything. So there's a this pre-rut that occurs as they're ramping up towards um, these does being in estrus. And as you move later into the pre-rut, there may be a few does that come into estrus. And that's actually the time that most people think is the peak of the rut because that's when you see the most deer movement. There are deer running everywhere because there's just a few does and so all the bucks are just chasing these few does you see all kinds of movement but the rubs are not deer use rubs as communication because they have scent glands in their head so as they're rubbing these rubs and and what a rub is is when they're actually going to a small sapling sized tree a buck is actually rubbing his antlers up and down and scraping the bark away from that so it's easily identifiable um it's easily identifiable as, as a deer because this tree has no bark on it at a deer's height, um, but they're leaving their scent from their scent glands on their head on that tree. But that they're not marking a territory. They're just kind of saying, I've, I've been here, but they're, you know, they're a prey species. They're not a predator, so they're not marking their territory. It's really just a way to communicate. It's kind of the social media. Let's say a social media deer sign is the social media of the deer world. They're saying, hey, I'm here. I'm so-and-so. That's kind of really all they're saying. Scrapes, they're going to communicate even more through. A scrape is actually where they're going to find a, a usually a branch that comes down, call it a licking branch, and they're going to use their hooves to remove all the duft and everything down to the soil. And then you'll actually see if it's been a wet rain, they're scraping away and they're going to poop and pee in that. So you've got this big cleared out area beneath a licking branch. And those will use those too. But the bucks are actually going through and checking all of these. And those those active ones are a great thing to hunt around during the pre-hunt because you may have, during the pre-rut, excuse me, you may have one scrape that's super, super active and then all of a sudden it goes dry. And you can tell that because leaves have fallen into it. And then 100 yards down, you have one that is just wet with urine. There's not There's no leaf litter or anything on it at all. You can see where they've been in it recently, fresh scat. Um, but they're, they're kind of communicating telling the other deer, hey, I'm in this area, finding out who else is in this area. So if a, a buck is finding a lot of doe scent around what? these scrapes, then he knows this is an area I need to stay around so that when the estrus happens, I'm close to these does. So can they identify any estrus in the scrape? Is there ever any what you're identifying as estrus and that buck comes by and is like, oh, wow, she's she's here, she's ready through a scrape? Um. It's not really going to be through the scrape, no. So uh, how a buck is going to find a doe in estrus, they learn their bedding areas, and that kind of goes into hunting tactics too. So they're going to travel, and they're going to be in what's called the seeking phase of the rut, and they're going to be out seeking. They use the wind, and they're going to travel in uh, corridors. They find these corridors like little creek arms, little woods extensions, that's uh, timber extensions, that, uh, like a finger that reaches out into the field. And they're going to travel in these trying to catch wind of a doe that is an estrus. And if they do, they're going to seek it out. Yeah, that's that's why they're running and chasing. That's why they're, yeah, that's why they're in that, that seek phase. Okay. And, and the pre-rut is really, so many people get that wrong. 
because as those first couple does go into estrus, you really do see a lot of buck movement. You may be hunting, and you may literally see a buck with his nose down, grunting, chasing a doe. She's sprinting by. He's chasing her. And then five minutes later, here comes the six-pointer. And five minutes later, here comes another six-pointer. And you see all these bucks following through. And you're like, man, it's the peak rut. Well, it's really not. You're getting close. Within a week or so, you're probably going to have that peak rut. But that's just when those first couple does go into estrus. They're the hot commodity. There's more bucks than does that are hot in an estrus right then. So they're, they're going after them full mm. force. That's good. So how do I know when I'm in the peak rut? So right after that time, let's say you, you've seen bucks chasing, a lot of deer running around acting crazy. Bucks, they lose their minds. I've always made the joke, a year and a half old buck during the pre-rut is probably the dumbest animal on planet Earth. It's like I've had them walk up and lick my tree stand as I'm sitting in it, mm -hmm. like the ladder to my tree stand. I mean, they just have no, no care in the world. They have no idea what's going on because they're young. This is their first experience with the, the rut, and they are going after what they smell because it's instinctual. That's what they're built to do. They're built to, to survive and procreate. Um, but you really know that transition is happening into, into peak rut when you start to see that, act, that chasing and seeking activity go down. Because what's happening is a lot of people call it the rut, uh, the lockdown. More does will be receptive and so bucks will be split off with these does during their 24 to 48 hours that they are in estrus. And they're going to push them into the thickest, nastiest cover away from everybody else so that they are no longer competing with the other bucks for them. They're going to push them, herd them almost into a thick, nasty place where they can have them all to themselves, do what God designed them to do, and then they'll leave that doe and go on to the next thing. Mm. And we'll talk more about hunting tactics, but what I just talked about goes factors hugely into how you should approach trying to harvest deer during that time. Right. That's good. You know, have you ever heard of the second rut? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's a, another highly debated thing um, amongst deer hunters. Some say there is no such thing as a second rut. Some say the second rut is the time of year. It's the best time to hunt all year. Mm. The second rut is a real thing. There are actually a couple of factors that, that cause a second rut to happen. First, and, and probably the most prominent thing that happens, if your buck-to-doe ratio in your herd on your property is, is out of balance, what can happen is a doe will go into estrus for her two days, she doesn't get bred, or it is possible that she does get bred and is, it is not successful. And she knows it's successful because her body tells her. If a doe gets bred and becomes pregnant, her body produces progesterone, and she knows that she's now in the fawn development stage. She's going to go, I mean, really into getting fat for winter. She's going to eat and stay safe. That's that's her whole basis to raise raise this fawn. If the progesterone does not get produced, she knows she's not pregnant, and within three to four weeks, she'll actually come into estrus again. Research shows in study pens that can actually happen up to seven times. Now, in the wild, that's not going to happen, but they can come into estrus several times in one season, but only if they don't become pregnant. The other instance is there's too many does and not enough bucks. So they will come into estrus. A buck will never tend to them. They'll come out of estrus, wait three to four weeks. Their bodies will hit the end of that cycle again. They'll come back into estrus. And a lot of times, if that happens with several does, because there's not very many bucks, it'll appear as a second rut. 
because you're a whole month later after your normal rut period, wherever that is that you live. The other thing that contribute to that second rut is actually fawns. So last year's fawns, they're going to be about six months old as you get into um, the winter, early winter months, late winter months. They're going to be that six to seven month year, six to seven months old, not years old, six to seven months. And if they have reached an appropriate body mass, 60 to 70 pounds, they will actually go into estrus. So a six to seven month old fawn could be bred, you know, that December, January time. That really only happens if you've got good habitat. If you've got good habitat, these deer are going to have the resources they need to get to that appropriate body mass. But a lot of times they're only going to reach 40 or 50 pounds um, and that's not going to happen. So if you've got too many does and just a few bucks, you're going to see more of a second rut than you would on a property that's got good balance. So why the rut then? Why at this time of year, why does it have to take place at this time of year and not in spring? Or, you know, we, we think sometimes springtime being this time where all these animals are out and um, finding mates, right? Yeah. So this is kind of taking place in a, in a fall, in a winter, colder time. I'll answer that with perfect design. Mm. Perfect design. I like that. Um, so, you know, a lot of times, Ben, you and I both, when we have these why questions, uh, we like to give credit or turn to God for that and, and look at design. And creation is amazing. And it is just the way things work. Um, such complex things work so simply. It, it, it is proof to me of a creator. But I believe God created the rut timing. <clears throat> and, and to help make my case for that, it is timed out perfectly. So the rut happens here in Missouri, usually first couple weeks of November. Gestation period for a white-tailed deer, and the gestation period is how long a mother is pregnant before she gives birth. So a gestation period for a white-tailed doe is about 200 days. So if she gets bred in November, that puts us in to early summer when she's giving birth. So two things that are now Actually, one thing that we no longer have during that time and one thing that we do have will show that this is the perfect timing. The thing we no, ha no longer have in early summer is freezing cold nights. When a fawn is born, they're only about five pounds, four to six pounds. So they can't survive this. They don't have a winter coat. They can't survive a freezing cold 30 degree night. So we're now just on the end of those times because we can still get some of those in May. We're just now on the end of those times when they're born. No more freezing nights coincidence i think not also what else do we have in june you've got full foliage there is plants and there is food galore for mom because mom needs to produce lots of healthy full of nutrient milk for that fawn to reach a very healthy body weight by the time it gets to the next winter because by the time they get to the next winter they've got to be able to produce a healthy winter coat and they have to have enough fat on them and that's going to be for mom mom is responsible for that to get them through that winter and so it just plays out that the timing is perfect that when they're bred and when they're born is just enough days that everybody has what they need to survive the next year that's amazing it, that's awesome it Creation's is amazing cool. it is it is amazing part of the reason i love the species part of the reason uh, i love creation part of the reason i love studying uh, the way everything works out there you know people may be listening to this in a, in a different state more, we're kind of in middle America, so there's more northern states. 
that are a lot colder a lot earlier, and their rut is going to be earlier than here. And that is not because of the cold, it's because of what I just talked about. These does have to be able to give birth at a time when there's enough foliage and the freezing times are going away. Usually the intensity of the rut is really hard and really short in those more northern climates. When you get down to the south, you don't have the same factor. When you start getting down to you know southern Alabama, southern Mississippi, um, all the way down into Florida, you have plants and greens and things growing all year long for these deer to eat. So you actually will have a rut more spread out. Studies have shown you will actually have deer and estrus in those very southern states in the United States from summer all the way to the end of winter. Hmm. So it's much more spread out mm-hmm. without the intensity of some of these Midwest and Northern areas. Didn't know that. I mean, it all ad- it all adds up. It makes sense if 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 they don't have all those freezing temperatures and they don't have all these deciduous trees that are leaving, losing all their mast and all their leaves and leaving no food for the deer. They don't really need to have that really focused rut like, like the deer have here. Gotcha. So the geographical area does matter for sure. Interestingly enough, I talk about habitat when we talk about deer and wildlife all the time, something else that can actually change the timing of the rut where you live on your particular property if you do drastic habitat improvements if you if you increase the amount of food and the amount of bedding you will actually change shouldn't say you will you can actually change when your rut peaks so habitat improvements change so i think the reasoning behind that is if they have the resources that they need and they're not worrying about that then it, it may delay it another week or two weeks And so then comes the question, well, how do I even know when the rut is where I live? How do I even know? That's what I was going to ask next. That's what you're going to ask? Yeah. Yeah, How do you even know? know? Um, Some people just swear where they live that they know exactly what it's going to be, but it it does change. And the biggest things that change it are habitat and then your buck to doe ratio. How many boys do I have to how many girls? That changes it drastically. Um, If you're not having great ruts or you're not having a lot of does get bred, then you need to shoot some does. You need to harvest some does to kind of balance out that buck to doe ratio. Um, you know, really kind of searching for that one-to-one. So one buck to one doe. And as you get towards that, you can have some really good ruts. They're going to be shorter because you're going to have your does that are coming into estrus. They're getting bred every time because there's a buck to breed them. So that leads my next question in regards to rattling, rattle bags, all these things. So what I'm asking, and for those that may not understand, is um, hunters will actually take out antlers could be plastic they bought from the store or real antlers or a rattle bag and they begin to sit in their their stand during this time and rattle mm-hmm. rattle and bang these antlers together and some people would say that's to to bring in the buck right yeah. to to bring these big bucks in to maybe spark curiosity say i hear I, it sounds like other deer fighting yeah. you know is that taking place pre-rut rut second rut post-rut well I do want to get into that. Okay. But first I want I want to share how do you know when your rut is? I really want to share how you know when your rut is. And and first is observation because you see those things. You see you see bucks chasing does. You see a lot of scrapes and then you all of a sudden see them start to close up. And then you know that that kind of lockdown phase is happening. That's kind of your peak rut because they're not they don't need to communicate. A lot of the does are in estrus and and they're tending to them. 
And what happens with those does, you know, you'll have, because it's only one to two days, you'll have a couple does on your property go in for that day. And then another day or two later, you'll have a couple more go in. They're not all going in the same day, but usually within a week or two weeks time, all the does on your property have went in to estrus. Okay. But how do you know when that's truly happening? There's a peak. How do you know when the peak is? And I love to turn to science, so we're going to turn to science for that. And the answer is to actually harvest does after the rut. So harvest does late season, December, January. And when you harvest them, if they are pregnant, you can actually measure the fetuses. They're actually fetus rulers. You can get that from the, the Deer Association, National Deer Association. You can order them. And you're actually going to measure the fetus that is inside of them, and you can uh, date it back to the exact day that they would have been bred. So once you've harvested a few late season does off your property over the years, you can kind of get to see, oh my goodness, like, all right, November 3rd to November 10th seems to be the week. That's the week. All these does are bred during that week, and you know that for your property. However, you can change that, or you should look for change if you change the habitat, or for some reason your buck to doe ratio changes drastically. So that really is the best way to know is to measure fetuses. Okay, so it is, it's more based on the doe than it would be the buck. Absolutely. Okay, and then back to what I was <laughs> asking about when, when, when bucks are fighting. Mm-hmm. Does that change throughout this entire process? So Does there's it... competition, just like when you and I were young men and, and there was a pretty girl that everybody wanted to date. Uh, there is competition for these does when they go into estrus. That's why the bucks are trying to push them off to these thick, woolly areas so that they're not fighting other deer. So sometimes they get into a battle, a physical battle, an altercation where they are using their antlers to fight. And that's a secondary purpose of antlers. Antlers really are to say... Um, attract the mate that's their that's their bicep muscles for the white-tailed deer look look at me um but if they have to use them to fight and defend they will when two ant- hard boned antlers are clashing together it does make a loud noise so you can use it you'll actually get more response to rattling during the rut however the age of the buck that you call in during that peak rut is going to be lower more response lower age of buck I really like to use rattling at the end of the rut. As things start to settle down and you get towards the post rut, that's when your response of the rattle will go down, but the age of the buck that you call in with rattling antlers is going to go up. Your average buck when rattling towards the end of the rut is going to be like three and a half years old. So if you want to get a mature buck, use rattling antlers towards the end of the rut, not at the beginning or during the peak. So will deer, I mean, be fighting constantly? So your pre-rut, your peak, and your end, are you going to be seeing that, if you're from your tree center, are you going to be seeing that the entire time, or is there a time when you're seeing more more bucks? No. Um, once you start seeing bucks sparring, mm-hmm. what, is what it's called when two bucks are actually coming together with their antlers, you know you're you're at that pre-rut. You've got a doe or two that, that's coming into estrus. That's when that stuff starts younger bucks they may just be playing if you see a little year two year two yearling bucks sparring in the end of september they're just playing gotcha they're just playing but once you start get getting within a couple weeks of, of that rut during the rut and after then yeah you're, you're there that's why they're doing it after the rut's over when you get into the post rut why would they be fighting i mean they're not going to fight just to fight they are only going to fight for for breeding rights for breeding purposes so they're not going to risk their harm in their body during that. And you'll see during the rut, you'll see a buck come through that's chasing a doe and he's scarred. He may even have a bloody spot on him, a eye poked out, 
broken off antlers, you'll see that during the rut because that's been happening. And those are actually really good deer to use your grunt call for. If you see a nice, clean-looking, sleek deer that hasn't been... They may be a shy deer. They may be a less dominant deer running away from all that. But if you're hunting during the rut, a grunt call is a great thing to use for a deer that looks like it's maybe been in some fighting action. But you got to be quiet. You don't want to do this big, loud roar. Nice, just quiet grunts. Um, If they are really hot on a doe, chasing a doe, likely they're not going to turn away to go fight another buck. They're staying on that until they have to encounter them. But if you've got one out cruising by itself and you haven't seen a doe around, some nice light soft grunts that sound like you're another buck that's chasing a doe because a lot of times bucks will use these cording grunts that are soft as they're chasing these does. So that may tell another buck, hey, that buck's got one. I'm going to go over there and check it out. Gotcha. That's good. If that makes sense to everybody, that's kind of in the weeds, but that's the stuff that we're, as hunters, you know, as we're looking through our bag, we haven't seen anything all day. What can I do? What can I do? What do I, what am I not doing? What can I add to this to make this a, a successful hunt? Hunting during the rut, that's when everybody wants to hunt. Our rifle season here in Missouri is during the rut. Uh, that's kind of, that's been a controversial thing in the past. There was a petition four or five years ago to actually try to move it into December away from the rut to try to help that uh, age structure of bucks go up. Um, but nothing has happened with that yet. But how do you hunt the rut? It's, it's changing so fast. How do you, how do you approach it? How do you hunt it? And those calling tactics are great. But for me, it's so much about where you're placing yourself. Where are you going to go hunt, Ben? If, if I say, dude, we're here. It's, I've seen it happen. It's the rut. You get to go tomorrow. Where, where are you going to set yourself up at? I'm looking for sign for, I mean, that's what I'm going to go out and find first. So if, if I'm going out to, to try to maximize a harvest, mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to go out and look at sign first. Um, when you're talking about pre-rut, you know, I know you, you've actually taught me looking for those food sources. You know, we're looking for the acorns are starting to fall at this time. The persimmons got full of trees. They're going to be coming down. Yeah, once you start getting some frost and getting some cold and those sugars start to form in those persimmons and yeah. they're hitting the ground, that's it's a good place to be right before the rut. So kind of look at those areas. And then for me, it's been, you know, I'm looking for, for again, the signs. So if, if I'm identifying their scrapes and rubs, then I know those deer have been in that area. And... That's what I'm looking for. At the very least, that gives you hope because you know there's deer in the hope, area, Hope, right? yes, hope, yes. It gives you some hope. Uh-huh. Um, if you've got trail cameras, ch- check your trail cameras because a lot of times as you approach the rut, it's like Christmas. All of a sudden, a buck you've never seen before will show up. And that is uh, one of the beautiful things about the rut is it will cause bucks to move outside of their home range. All deer have a home range. Um, there's so many studies you can look up. There's actually videos of all these camera stations that they're hitting in it pretty consistent in a lot of areas of where they go but all of a sudden as that date changes and the and the days get shorter and the nights get longer you'll see that home range jump all of a sudden you'll see them making these long treks and that's usually as those first does start to become receptive and they're starting to do that seeking thing um they actually a buck will actually lose 25 to 30 percent of its body weight during the rut because they quit eating and they're moving so much shouldn't say they quit eating they reduce their eating and they activity goes up they're moving so much because their main focus is to procreate in advance. And so they they really hurt their body condition during that time. And plus they're using fighting other deer. They're just really putting a lot of exertion out to get through this time of year. It's hard on them. It really is. So as deer managers, we want to make sure they have good food sources when it's over so they can go put all that body fat on to get through the rough winter. Um, so they're traveling outside their home. A lot of times 
The buck that people have their heart set on, they only ever get pictures on their trail cameras during the night. But the rut will increase day movement. If they're a deer that only moves during the night, they're going to maybe mess up. Mistakes by mature bucks are made more during the rut than anything else because it's almost like they lose this focus. They're focused on this one thing and this one thing only. Um, and that's the time to really to, to key in on a mistake from a mature buck that may only move at night or may only move in this area, but now he's in a new area during the daytime all of a sudden just because of, because of a woman. Mm. Mm, I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that. We'll leave that to rest. So, how I approach rut hunting is like this: during the pre-rut, that seek phase, that when the chasing and the seeking first really starts happening, and there's just a few does and estrus, and there's a lot of deer movement. I I like to be in the timber. I do because they're still hitting scrapes during that time. So that's where they're going to be, where there's a lot of timber. I like to be in travel corridors, so where there's roads. And I like to be in some place that I have a consistent wind. But because deer are moving so much, it is a great time for you to mess up too. If you mess up and you get down in a holler or a draw that's got a swirly wind and you've got multiple deer moving through, that is a really good time for you to mess up and let them know that there's human activity there. So I like to be in a place I have a consistent wind, close to some timber or in some timber, and where there's a travel corridor, whether it's a road or a game trail, old logging road, whatever it is, that's kind of my pre-ride approach. Now, when I see all that chasing start to slow down, but I know it's still the rut time of year, that's when I think that lockdown phase is keying in. I am going to get as close to the thickest cover. I'm going to get to the thickest cover closest to the doe bedding area. So if you spent some time in the woods or you have cameras, you kind of know where these does, where they bed down at. You may jump them out of there. You may find them bedding down there during the day. Get close to the doe bedding area, the thickest cover close to it. Don't get in the cover because you still want them to go in there, but get as close to it as you can so that when those bucks are chasing those does into that thick cover you're there to make the harvest that's, that's really my approach and i've seen some really really good bucks in areas i wouldn't normally hunt because it doesn't really look like a great hunting area but i know it's thick it's nasty and those does are going to be being pushed in there and that's really one of the best rut hunting things i can do i mentioned the calling i during that peak rut that lockdown phase i don't call a whole lot i just try to get close to that thick cover um, sit really quiet, watch my scent control, and, and, and wait for something to slip up. You're not going to see as many deer during that time, but when you do, it may be the one you've been waiting for. Kind of leads to a question and, and story. So you and I, uh, I believe it was two years ago, we'd been hunting this spot, and, and we were seeing activity, we were seeing deer, um, but we were actually, we kind of did this little hike where we'd push through to kind of see what more sign we we could find if we could see more deer and we came out on the road and this guy saw us in our our camouflage and and our um, orange hat and orange vest and he stops and and actually puts it in reverse and comes back to us and you and i looked at each other like oh no you mm-hmm. know which we had the rifles on our on our shoulders but um he come back and he said hey just want to let you guys know i go to work about 3 a.m every day and every time i come through this area right here where you guys are at at 3 a.m I see this monster buck, mm-hmm. right? And you were kind of talking about that a few minutes ago about moving more of the daytime or the nighttime, and and especially these mature bucks that are that are mature, that are they're older in age. And so, if you are in an area where your bucks are 
really moving through your hunting zone or the only land you have that you're going to hunt on. If you have these bucks coming through there of a night, um, is there any way to change that or are you just waiting for a mistake to happen? Like you talked about, just a mistake. So a, a, a really great way is to wait till after the rut's over. So after the rut's over, if you've managed your habitat, put in some food plots, and you've got some really good quality late season food sources. So uh, a, a great example I'm going to use is standing soybeans. So let's say you get down to around Christmas time. It is so cold. You've got standing soybeans and six inches of snow. They're not finding anything else to eat through that snow, but you have high quality carbohydrates standing that they can get access to. They are cold. So you wait for a cold snap when you have a good food source in a late season. That's a great way to find one of those mature bucks because a lot of them make it through the rut. A lot of them make it through because of that nocturnal movement that you're talking about. But that late season to a food source during the cold, coldest, nastiest time is a great way to harvest one during the daytime. So then let's, yeah, I'm glad you shared that. So to qualify, to clarify all of this, the temperature doesn't doesn't have to do with the rut. Mm-mm. So we've learned that that's photo, uh, that's sunlight, that's yep. the, the hours, the periods of the sunlight. But when we talk about hunting for deer, we can um, better prepare ourselves to hunt or to to know when to hunt. Sometimes due to the temperature that is outside. So you just talked about a cold snap. Absolutely. We're, there there is some truth in hunting around cold snaps and cold times, mm-hmm. but that isn't about the rut no okay no it, it it's they have to survive so if the colder it is the more they have to move the more they have to eat and they are trying to pack on in the winter as much carbohydrates for fat layers they turn the carbohydrates into fat layers so that they can get through the winter so that they have enough energy come spring to 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 grow new sets of antlers because the winter in in, in temperate climates where all the, all the foliage dies off it's winters are really, really, really hard on wildlife, especially deer, especially in places that you get snow because any of the food they may be getting is now covered and they have to dig through it. Um, so if you can provide a food source that is above the snow, then it's going to help your deer herd. It really is. Um, oh, that's good. Let, let's share some rut hunting stories here to, to wrap this up. I mentioned deer lose their mind. Bucks lose their mind. I, I It's just amazing some of the things that you see out there during the rut, some of the stories that people share, you're not going to believe what I saw this buck today. Um, and we've both experienced that, and, and I think we should both share one. And one I want to share is, as a teenager, uh, bow hunting, I had just started, really only, it was only a couple years into bow hunting, and I had this awesome spot, and I would do these all-day sets, and I was out there. My favorite weekend to bow hunt, where we live, of the year, is the first weekend of november every year it is the weekend right before our rifle season opens so for me that is the most archery rut action you can get where we live it is i always just see so many deer and i just enjoy my time so much in the woods uh but it was that weekend it was the the first weekend of november and i got up there before daylight and i mean i don't think i ever went 20 minutes without seeing a deer it was just all day long watching watching deer. Well, finally, I saw this doe come busting out of a stand of cedars, and I knew something was chasing her. You could just tell the way she came busting out of there. And she got out into this thick field, which is another great place, a thick 
overgrown field, especially if you're in an ag area. If you have a thick overgrown field next to ag areas, thick overgrown fields are a great place for bucks to push does to. He had pushed her out into this thick overgrown field, and she bedded down out there. And he just stood there over the top of her and stood there and stood there. They're probably 100 yards away, and I'm thinking, there ain't nothing in the world I could do to get that buck over here. I probably was even praying. I don't even, it's been long enough I don't remember it. I was just like, let that doe get up. She was the only thing that was going to bring him into bow range for me. They danced all over that field. She got up, she'd bed down, she'd bed down for 30 minutes, she got up, all over the place. Finally, he came to 45 yards. And at that time, I, with, with the bow setup that I had and my skills, I was really, to be honest, only comfortable to about 40. And, uh, this was, this was actually before bows uh, shot 350 feet per second. <laughs> this was before they were that fast. So I had a slower bow. It was an entry-level bow at that. I'd only been shooting a couple years. and He got out there at 45 and just stood there because she bedded down. I mean, you just stood there broadside, and I'm battling myself in my mind. Do I do it or do I not? This is a big nine. It would have been, at the time, it would have been the biggest buck ever harvested. Uh, a nice nine point for where we live in the Ozarks. It was really, really good. I'm going to say it was probably a 130 class deer, you know, not giant, but a, a, a really nice buck. And I finally decided I was going to take the shot. Well, I only had a pin out to 40. <laughs> so I held him high. I put it right, basically on his back strap, right below his spine, thinking it's an extra five yards. He st- I let it fly. Bam. That arrow hit right where I was aiming. <laughs> It didn't drop. I should have shot him for 40 and it had been fine. Uh, hit him right in the back strap. And I saw like no penetration. The arrow stuck, but I maybe had two inches of my arrow in him. And he didn't really seem a whole, a really wounded, but he ran into the timber. And I waited about 20 minutes and, and I, it's just killing me, eating me alive. I was sick to my stomach. Wounded this deer. There's no way that was a kill shot. I blew my chance. But knowing I had a responsibility, I decided I was going to get down. Still had a lot of daylight left and deer everywhere. I was going to get down. I was going to go check. So I I followed where I had marked where he went back into the wood line. I went straight to that spot. When I stepped inside, I saw one little tiny drop of blood. And then I found my arrow. And my arrow just had a little bit of meat and hair on, like, I'm talking barely above the broadhead. So I'm like, okay, now I'm feeling like this deer's probably fine. He's probably okay. So I climbed back up in my tree stand. I wasn't up there five minutes, and that daggum buck and that doe ran out of the wood line that I just grabbed the arrow out of back into the field where I just shot him. Mm-hmm. And I could see the wound on his back. Now, he didn't come into archery range again, but he did stay there for like another two hours. Wow. He was so tuned into this doe because she was an estrus. He didn't care that I just shot him. I couldn't believe it. I've never experienced anything like that at that point, and I have not seen that again. Um, but that just goes to show how crazy they they can be, how they're just out of their mind. Yeah, that and they are. It's you know, especially the young ones. And you've talked about that already. But um, I was so many stories of watching these these young guys just, I mean, like head down most of the time. When, when you talked about like a corridor, like I'm hunting along game trails and and sometimes those logging roads mm-hmm. and um you know their heads are down and they're just moving and you could literally do jumping jacks and they're not even paying attention to you it's wild but my story though long i'm going to keep it short um it really comes from my very first 
buck that I ever harvested. Mm. And um, my uncle had actually helped me get my my area set up. And um, this is this is rifle season, so rifle seasons after archery. And I remember that my uncle had put up some some cams and had a lot of pictures. And we saw that there was a really nice eight point back there. And so that, that got me pumped, got me excited. I, I wanted, I'd harvest those before, but I'd never really harvested a, I didn't harvest a buck yet. And uh, so I was looking through these pictures and I knew there was one out there and that gave me hope because in the areas that I hunt, I don't see a lot of just great bucks. That, that hope just about makes you as crazy as a buck it, chasing a doe. It does. <laughs> Knowing that they've been there gives me that hope. So I remember that the opening morning I went out and I do remember it was, it was my grandpa that morning said, Ben, you can harvest whatever you want, but remember, if you let the little guys go, then you have a chance for a bigger one, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was open in the morning, and I had a, a six-point little bat. I mean, they call it basket rack, just yeah. a little tiny six-point. He came right under me, and I wanted to take him so <laughs> bad. So bad, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it, I wanted to, but I didn't. I just remember what my grandpa had told me, just wait. And so I did. And so came out of the stand late in that afternoon, went in and, and I told that story and, and I remember I was kind of emotional. I was kind of in tears because I was like, I really should have done it. I should have, it had been my first buck. You know, it was a six point, you know, it wasn't this little four going on. I was like, I should have done it. And they're like, well, remember if you don't kill the little, little ones, you can wait for a big one. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say it was about three days later, three days later, I'd hunted every day and, and it was three days later that... I had waited, and this this eight point, really nice. He hadn't come out yet; didn't even know he was there. But it was the same one on the on the photo that I had. Mm-hmm. But all I remember is this really large doe running down this trail. That's again game trail coming down. I'm watching her, and as she's coming through, it scares me because I all of a sudden it's this running deer just out of nowhere. And rem- we've talked about this before. When you see her running, be ready because. Pretty quickly, here's going to come the yeah. big boy, right? It's either a coyote or a buck. A coyote or a buck, yeah. So here I get ready, and here he comes, the one in the picture. Here he comes. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, right? But if I, if I remember this correctly, they actually went past me, couldn't get a shot, and which I was kind of devastated and destroyed in that moment. And I want to say it was about 10, maybe 15 minutes later, here she came again. Right. But coming from a different direction, but coming at me. Well, who you know you have these feelings emotions because i was pretty defeated like i didn't get my shot and i'm like you know what maybe i had my time and there he was he he followed right in behind her and i had to slow him down so i threw out the you know everybody does it actually took a couple of those to get him to yeah yeah, you know and then he paused and again it was broadside one shot the story's there um i even have the picture with my mount that i have you know the one thing that uh, was different though is that he had broken off you'd talked earlier about when they fight or or whatever it could have been they they live a rough life one of his um tines uh snapped off Mm -hmm. so still an eight point but he he was broke you know he he didn't match the picture perfectly but there was an identifier in that picture and the way that his his antlers came around um yeah it was him it was him it was him it was awesome well, that story is a, a perfect example of that kind of erratic move, movement that we talked about. It is not typical for, for deer to go one direction and then just a few minutes later turn back and come the opposite direction in mm-hmm. the same way they just came from. That's atypical of deer movement. So that's what the rut does, and that's why it's so exciting to be out there hunting during those times. What I really hope, 
Um, first of all, thank you for listening to this podcast. What I really hope that you guys get from this, one, is that our, that our passion for creation in the outdoors comes through in this. I hope that if you are a hunter, you now better understand the rut from the science side of what's really happening, maybe even gained a tip of how to approach hunting it and harvesting a buck. If you're not a hunter, I hope you enjoyed the science side and just appreciating how awesome these animals are. And maybe even you're inspired to give hunting a try. Maybe you you have a, a neighbor, a friend, or a family that, that you could ask to, to help get you out into the field and, and do some hunting. We really appreciate all the support that everybody's always giving us. If you, if you want to become a patron from our Patreon account, please follow our link tree to that. Follow all our social media accounts. We've got Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. We love keeping uh, updated along the way of all the things that we're out doing and what our podcast topics are about. Whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on, we would really, really love for you to hit the automatic download and follow button so that you're getting each episode. Please share it with other people, any hunters that you may know or anybody that's passionate about the outdoors. Please share our podcast with them. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We hope that between now and the next episode that you find time to go outdoors and maybe harvest a big buck. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.